Hey everybody, welcome to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. Today I have with me Elizabeth Maxwell, who has voiced many characters including Ymir from Attack on Titan, Winter from Ruby, and Makoto Kusanage from Ghost in the Shell, Arise, to name a few. Thank you for being on my podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Andrew. So a lot of my listeners want to know how you discovered acting. I started out as a a more traditional film and TV actor before I ever transitioned into voiceover. And if you want to know the roots of that, my parents said I came out of the womb and they knew I was going to go into the entertainment art. So I feel like I wanted to be an actress before I even knew what that actually meant. But as far as voice acting goes, I moved from LA to Austin and I kind of was looking for another creative source of income and I had enough people at that point in my life telling me you have a great voice how come you don't do voice acting that I finally decided well why don't I do voice acting this is silly and that was the genesis of it and now before we get into your voice acting career I'd like to talk a little bit about your live action roles you appeared in a few shorts to name a few barely legal the Fold, Megan and Dan, as well as you are currently working on Tip Your Waitress and The Eternal. How do you <laughs> discover shorts? It's interesting. This is a major difference in the voiceover versus the film and TV world. There are definitely ways and websites to discover work on your own, but because film and TV has been around a little longer that a lot of actors are clamoring for that kind of work, a lot of that tends to go through casting websites and agents and so forth. I do still book some of my own work on there or will have friends that want to get me involved in their projects, but a lot of the film and TV work does tend to come through agencies. And now you also had some TV appearances in Criminal Mind. I didn't know I was pregnant, surviving disasters, and lost (laughs) tapes. How does TV differ from working on a short? The pacing tends to be faster in television. They're on a lot more of a deadline, so both the casting process, if you even get a rehearsal process and then the actual filming process itself it's under the gun a lot more which can be a little scary and it can also be exciting and a lot of times with television they tend to have more of a very exact idea of what they want generally it tends to be a little less room for improv whereas with shorts A lot of the times there's a little bit more emphasis placed on the artistic portion of it as opposed to the commercial aspect of it. So a lot of times there's just more time and more emphasis placed on rehearsal and character development and a lot more freedom for stuff like improv. And you also appeared in a movie in a very small role, A Perfect Getaway as a bridesmaid. How did working on a movie differ? Movies, they always vary, but that particular one was a pretty amazing experience because the movie was filming in Puerto Rico. So I booked that movie with my current roommate. No connection. We just both happened to be actors and we both booked that movie. They flew us out to Puerto Rico first class and it was essentially like getting paid to take a vacation. It was pretty amazing. And that's not always the case with movies. But they tend to take a lot longer to film, and so there's definitely like a different environment that's created. It tends to be more akin to doing a play. I feel like there's a little bit more of a community and a camaraderie that's created because you tend to spend a lot longer with those people. Now, one of your first anime roles was on Attack on Titan as Ymir. How did you land this role? 
I had been politely petitioning Funimation to let me audition for them for several, several months. And I got a call from somebody and they said, hey, we're having open call auditions for this new anime we're doing called Attack on Titan. Can you be in Dallas in a couple hours? I live in Austin, Dallas, four hour drive away for me. But of course, what was I gonna say? No. So I dropped everything I was doing and hopped in my car and seriously broke the speed limit driving up to Dallas. And I even remember I had not personally heard of the anime yet. So I called a good friend of mine who's very up on anime trends and I asked him, okay, dude, I have this audition. What can you tell me about the show? Tell me a little bit about the female characters. Like I need some background, go. And he was like, wait, what show did you just say? You're auditioning for that show? And I was like, okay, you know what? Never mind. tell me nothing. You are making me so nervous. Stop it, hang up the phone. <laughs> so I walked into Attack on Titan purposely knowing as little bit about it as possible because I didn't want to jinx myself. And I was incredibly nervous. Mike McFarland was incredibly sweet and he knew it was my first audition for Funimation. So he personally called when he wanted to tell me that I booked a mirror, I think because he knew that it was my first time and it would mean a little bit more. And I definitely flipped out. I'm pretty sure I blew his eardrum out. And now what did the audition process look like at Funimation? They usually have a binder that will give you a little synopsis of the show at the very start. So you know what you're dealing with, whether it's comedy, drama, dark comedy, fan service, etc, etc. And then they will have a little mini breakdown of some of the larger characters where they'll tell you a little bit about their personalities and they'll give you some sample lines of dialogue with a little bit of direction. Like she says this in anger or she's talking to her best friend or whatever and they use those as the way to audition the main characters but also as like a template so for instance when I read for Attack on Titan they didn't actually have a mirror as an auditionable character I read for Mikasa Annie I think I read for Krista and I'm almost positive I read for Sasha as well so Mike told me that it was my audition for Annie that got me the role of a mirror Ymir is a very interesting character, to say the least, in both the anime and the manga. How did you get into her mindset? With Ymir, I've had the interesting luck or privilege of playing characters where I feel like I already really understand their mindset. I've played a lot of characters in movies and in plays like Amir before. So her attitude and her outlook on life and the way that she sees the world was already very familiar for me. So the character work, I didn't really have to work on as much. If anything, I was honestly more scared shitless about my first time recording for Funimation and like working with Mike McFarlane and like, oh my God, what if I'm terrible and they fire me on the spot? So I think the preparation work really involved a lot more deep breathing and telling myself silently not freak out over and over again. And now the manga is obviously ahead of the anime. Did right. the manga influence your portrayal of Ymir in any way? I stayed away from the manga and I actually did not know about quote unquote Amir's secret until after I did the recording for season one because I went to my very first convention after having voiced Amir over the course of talking to other fans and, and so forth I found out about Amir's secret. I'm actually really glad I didn't know 
sometimes I do like knowing, sometimes I don't like knowing what happens ahead of time. In this case, I'm glad I wasn't influenced by that, honestly. And now Attack on Titan got a spinoff show, Attack on Titan Junior High. How do you feel about your role on this, and how did you prepare for this role as the same character? I wasn't quite sure what to think at first, because Attack on Titan Junior High is obviously, as we all know, so different than Attack on Titan. And it was funny because I went into my first voiceover session for that, and I realized I don't know what Amir sounds like when she screams. Amir in Attack on Titan Junior High, 85% of her lines, she's yelling at the top of her voice, and she never yells in Attack on Titan. She's the most somber, stoic character around, and she barely raises her voice. So I had to figure out what Amir sounds like when she's yelling. That was kind of a fun exploration. I also had to figure out what Amir is like with a sense of humor, because she has zero sense of humor in Attack on Titan, the original anime, and in Junior High, we're doing practice Scooby-Doo themed episodes. So I actually ended up enjoying the show a lot more than I thought I was going to because it allowed me to take a character that I'm already familiar with and explore different aspects of her personality that I may not have gotten to otherwise if they hadn't done junior high. And now with this role, were you cast it or did you have to audition to replay your role? They just brought back the entire original cast for Attack on Titan Junior High. A lot of times Funimation tries to honor the choices that they make. And now after your role in Attack on Titan, you had the opportunity to be in Ghost in the Shell, Arise, Borders 1 through 4, mm -hmm. as Motoko Kusanage. Yeah. What is the story of landing this role? That was, I believe, my second role with Funimation. And I liken this role to a very good example of being in the right place at the right time because Zach Bolton, the director, was very specifically looking for someone who A, could both believably sound like a younger version of Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, but also they were specifically looking for someone who didn't have a lot of high profile anime credits because they wanted it to be a new unique voice and not have the fans be like, oh, that so-and-so from this other anime. And Zach got my name from Mike and he reached out to me and asked me to read for it. And luckily I was already very, very familiar familiar with Ghost in the Shell. I've been following it since I was 11 years old. The movie was the very first anime I ever saw in my life. I'm a huge fan of Mary Elizabeth McGlynn's. So I already had that base of knowledge and then I spent quite a bit of time listening to Mary's voice and it worked, apparently. Something clicked. I have to admit that as nervous as I was for Attack on Titan, that was nothing compared to how I felt when I got the email from Zach because that was some public and personal expectations to live up to with that. That role. And now being a fan of this series, was it easier or harder for you to get involved as a voice actress? I would say in some ways it was easier because I already knew all the characters and the vocabulary. I kind of had a shorthand for the world, but in some ways it was a little harder. I kind of had to shut down this portion of my brain at some point, but I liken it to meeting a celebrity. It's always exciting, right? But if it's just some person that I recognize, cool, but not that big a deal. But when it's 
your favorite actor from your favorite show. It's like all of a sudden you're breaking out in cold sweats and hyperventilating. And it was kind of a similar thing for Ghost in the Shell because I was so invested in the world and it was such a part of my childhood and my anime history. I viscerally felt the weight of responsibility of taking up this mantle. And like I said, at a certain point, I just had to forcibly extricate that part out of my brain or it would have paralyzed me. But it made it easier and harder in different ways. And now being a fan of Ghost in the Shell, does being a part of it ruin it for you or does it make it even that much better? For me, it made it better. I know a lot of people who would disagree with me and maybe in different cases it would vary. But for this, it was such a huge honor. And I know different people have different reactions to Arise. I loved the fact that they decided to take a look at Motoko earlier in her life before she was the uber competent woman that we all know her to be in the later series. Like I liked seeing her younger and not quite as good at what she does and not quite as good at dealing with people and dealing with her team. I really like that exploration of her past and personality and getting to explore that and actually play a slightly different variation of the character while still paying homage to that character was a pretty cool experience for me. It did not ruin the mystique of the series. And now you're also involved in The Ghost in the Shell, the new movie. The OVAs in the movie were pretty similar. Obviously the movie's longer, but the movie was intended to be a wrap-up of the OVAs. So it stands alone, but it's a more enjoyable experience to watch the movie if you've also watched the OVAs, because it really does wrap up a lot of the loose ends that were left dangling at the end of a couple of the different OVAs. And now after being on Ghost in the Shell, you had a role in One Piece and Fairy Tale. They were sort of small, but how did those two roles come about? One Piece... I don't think I auditioned for One Piece. I think that part was given to me based on Joel McDonald hearing previous work I'd done in my reel. Shocky is the name of the character, and she was a hoot to play. Similar type of gal to Motoko and Amir in the sense that she's just badass and not at all apologetic about it. And I got to be a pirate, so that was a bonus. And Fairy Tale, I did audition for. And that was a lot of fun because Jenny Real Light is so different than the other characters. And she's so different from my natural personality. She's just this incredibly vain person. And I've never gotten to use my Valley Girl California accent before. So I finally got to whip that out for her. And there's a lot of fun to playing characters that are similar to you. But there's a lot of fun to playing characters that are really different from you and getting to execute exercise your demons and say things that you would never say under normal circumstances. And uh, getting to play that sexy conniving bitch was pretty entertaining. And now both One Piece and Fairy Tale have a huge following. You just said that you enjoyed playing both of the characters on those shows. Was there any pressure towards the fans of both of these series? Not so much on Fairy Tale and One Piece. And I don't know if that has to do with the fact that they're both like such long running shows and the worlds are so populated. So you're getting new characters all the time. And I had people express a lot of excitement and enthusiasm enthusiasm about the roles, but there wasn't so much pressure, I would say. And uh, do you have a favorite moment either from Fairy Tale or One Piece? The episode in Fairy Tale where it's basically a sexy off between Jenny and Urza, where it's just like, bikini 
bikini battle, bikini battle, sexy pose, sexy pose. That was a lot of fun. And to record, it took the longest to record because Tyler, myself, and I don't remember who the sound engineer at the time was, to be honest, but we were laughing so hard throughout the entire episode that it took a lot longer to actually record it. So that's probably my favorite moment that I remember from those two. And now after your involvement in these titles, you became involved in Mac and Kai battling Venus as the character. Character, Haimagami. Kimagami in Makinki. Was it easier to get this role at this stage in your career, considering you've done many other roles prior to this? I was actually selected for Kimagami. I did not audition for that role, and that was primarily because. The original actress who voiced Himagami in the first season of Mock and Key had to drop out of the show. She had something else. She's based out of LA and she had some other commitment or project that she was a part of that prevented her from being able to record the second season. So I was chosen specifically as a vocal replacement because I was able to easily voice match her voice. So in some ways, I would say it was easier because my voice and my face were becoming more well-known at Funimation where it was possible for the directors to think of me as a voice match but that was a job that I was handed those are always kind of nice and now how often do you get selected rather than casted or auditioned for it kind of varies from company to company and project to project but it doesn't matter how far along in your career you are you're always gonna have to audition a ton I tell like a lot of fans at conventions who are interested in getting into voiceover I'm like you have to be prepared to record 50 auditions for every five jobs that you get. It's a lot of auditioning. But as you do more work and you do get your name out there more, those jobs that you get handed to based on your previous body of work and your reputation, they taste that much sweeter because it's such a compliment. It's such an honor when that happens. And I'd say it's something like maybe a quarter of all the jobs that I book, I'm given instead of have to audition for. And it's strange that they can vary. I can't talk about the specific but I've auditioned for almost every video game role that I've ever booked. But the highest profile game that I've worked on to date that I just recorded on, I did not have to audition for. The game developer reached out to me and offered me the role, which was incredibly surprising to me. And now following this role, you appeared in two more animes, No Bunagun as Six. I pronounced it wrong too, and the director had to correct me incessantly. Apparently it's Nobunaga. And you did say six, right? And the other anime was Soul Eater Not. What was it like to appear in these roles? Nobunaga was a lot of fun. Six was just a biker babe. Super brash and fun-loving and didn't take anything too seriously. I'm actually kind of bummed. I don't think that show is getting a second season as far as I know, which is a shame because I really love the animation style on it. It was a really cool concept, but I just don't think that the original show did well enough in Japan for it to move forward. And and Soul Eater Not was pretty cool to be a part of. I haven't watched all of Soul Eater, but I'm familiar with the show and I've seen numerous episodes. So it was pretty exciting to join that world. It was fun too because I played a decent number of villainesses, but I've never played a younger villainess. 
like Shaula. So that was fun to explore in terms of vocal range and personality. And I liked getting to stare at her hair in the booth all day long because it's amazing. I have so much hair envy for so many of my anime characters that I voice. Shaula, Bishamon, Winter. Perfect segue right into Noragami as Bishamon. How'd you get into this character? Bishamon was another one of those roles that I actually didn't have to audition for her. Mike McFarlane directed the first season and I think just from being familiar with working with me from Attack on Titan, he thought that I would be a good vocal and personality fit for Bishamon. And I love Noragami, but Noragami Arigato, the second season, it blew my socks off. It still remains to this day one of the best experiences I've ever had recording voiceover. The character arc and the depth that they went into and the emotional range that I had to explore with that character was super complex and super difficult, but super satisfying. I feel like I forged this unshakable bond with the director, Caitlin Glass, because we spent hours just crying in the booth together. I'd go through entire boxes of her tissues and she'd have to buy more Kleenex. By the time that it was over, I was crying, thinking about not getting to see her on a regular basis anymore. I love almost everything that I'm involved in voiceover wise, but I feel like Noragami Aragato will remain always a very special project for me. And now you and the main character, Yato, Mm -hmm. got into a bunch of fights in the anime. As a voice actress, I don't know if many people know, but in anime, you don't record at the same time. How did you prepare for a fight and the bickering that took place? In this case, I was really lucky in the sense that Yato is played by Jason Liebrich, who is actually a very good friend of mine and lives in Austin as well. He's an Austin VO like me. So I already knew him and his personality well enough that I was actually able to play his voice in my mind as we were going through because he and Yato are actually a lot alike in many ways in their real personalities. So with that one, it was actually a piece of cake. It isn't always that way, but with Noragami and with Yato, I lucked out. And Jason and I also, for some strange reason, tend to get cast opposite of each other a lot, more so than any other voice actor I've ever worked with. So we have a lot of history and that helped with being able to fill in his voice. And uh, you've been working with Funimation for a few years. When you first arrived, was there anybody there to help to guide you? How long have I been there? Like three years, I think? I actually thought that was a long time too, but I've had some other voice actors there set me straight. The first two directors that I worked with, Mike McFarland and Zach Bolt, both went above and beyond as far as directing, but also mentoring me as well. Because they both knew I was pretty green. And Mike was always my go-to whenever I had any like business-related questions. He was always super accessible and super helpful to me in that sense. And Zach Bolt, was really cool and he helped introduce me to a lot of other directors and he was responsible for getting me introduced over at Okratron 5000 and they work with Gearbox on Battleborn so that connection is how I ended up getting the chance to audition for Phoebe and Zach gave me some of the simplest but kind of poignant and fun advice I've gotten which was essentially distilled down be good at your job don't be an asshole and you'll always work which I guess is particularly true of voiceover. You have to obviously be good at what you do, but being an enjoyable person to be around and work with is almost equally as important because you spend 
so much time in a small space with the director and the sound engineer. So if you get a reputation as being difficult or not enjoyable to work with, it doesn't matter how good your voice is. You're not going to work as much. And now let's talk about another role that you had with Rooster Teeth, RWBY as Winter, who you're envious of her hair. And how did <laughs> that come about? Rooster Teeth is an Austin-based company, and I had a lot of mutual friends with people like Cohen Wooten and Gray Haddock who work in the animation department. So I eventually got to meet those guys. And again, case of being in the right place at the right time, they were about to start searching for a voice actress for the role of Winter. And they were familiar with my work in Attack on Titan and Ghost in the Shell. So they offered to let me audition for the role because they thought that voice would be good for Winter. And apparently, I also happened to have a very similar speech pattern to the voice actress who plays Weiss Schnee, who is my younger sister on the show. So I think that kind of sealed the deal for them. They said that when they talked to me in person, the similarities were eerie. And that was pretty cool because I was not at all familiar with Ruby before I auditioned for the show. And I completely fangirled out and fell in love with it over the course of doing research for the audition. It's a good thing because it means I care that much more about doing a good job, but it was also like, oh my God, I have to be in this show. I have to be in this show. I'm going to die if I don't get to be in this show. Which, you know, it's not always helpful pressure when you're prepping for an audition. And now Ruby is interesting because it's American animation. How does the entire voice process work with Ruby versus Funimation and versus an anime? It's so different because there's a lot more freedom in prelay, which essentially means when you are laying down the vocal tracks and then they're animating it to you versus having to match mouth flaps. Anime dubbing is amazing and it's something that I will always love doing and it's the best exercise that you can do for voiceover work because it's some of the most difficult voiceover work to do. But prelay tends to be gratifying in a different way because you have so much more freedom in how you choose to deliver a line. You can choose where you pause. You can choose what you emphasize. You can choose how quickly or how slowly you say different lines. And to me, it allows me to feel like I can own the character a little bit more. Really make it my own because there's more freedom and creativity in the choices that you make. And now as working on Ruby, how much information did you have as we were kind of just speaking about what was going to happen in the show? They gave me a good deal of background and they gave me some info on what was going to happen in the future. They talked about how the show was going to take a darker, more serious, more adult tone, but they did not get into specifics. I don't know how much of that was through choice, not wanting to give away too much information that could potentially be leaked, or how much of it they were still kind of figuring out the details and writing themselves. I had a general sense of what was going to happen, but a lot of those details with Yang, I had no clue that was coming. No clue. And now prior to starting this podcast, we spoke a little bit about how Ruby has turned dark. How do you feel that the show evolved from the very first episode all the way to the end and you were part of that? How do you feel about the entire show changing and becoming more of an adult show? You know, it's funny. I had a feeling you were going to ask this question and I was literally thinking about it on my you drive could home. Pass, from the gym. And you could punt. I mean, it's a complicated question because... 
One of the things that made me first fall in love with the show was the humor and the playfulness of it. And I have to admit, it's hard not to get nostalgic for those earlier times. But I also feel like it's almost like a necessary evolution. It mirrors the growing up of the phases of adolescence. It's more or less exactly what happened with Harry Potter. I don't know if I would go so far as to say that it's inevitable, but I do really like that we're getting way more character development out of a lot of the main characters and seeing different sides of people and being forced to contend with bigger issues. It's hard sometimes. I'm the sort of person that I'll have to stop watching Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad because I'm like, it's too much. I can't handle it. But overall, I like it. And when I get too upset, I just go back and watch an earlier episode and I'm okay. And now you've also done other voice work outside of anime and outside of Ruby and Attack on Titan and everything. You've mm-hmm. done a lot of video game stuff, including Dragon Ball Z Xenoverse as Time Patroller, Lego's Marvel Avengers as Jane Foster slash Thor, and you mentioned earlier Battleborn with Gearbox. How did you get involved in these games and in video game voice work in particular? It's not that different of a story from anime. It's a similar process where they sometimes hold auditions and it's just simple luck of the draw of getting to audition and getting selected and sometimes again those roles are occasionally handed to you for lego marvel avengers i knew the director liam o'brien and they may not have had to recast that role but i think they had to recast a couple other roles on the game and so they gave him a lot more freedom to just choose the voice actors that he thought would be best suited for the part and so he reached out to me about that role but with bb and battleborn i went through a pretty extensive audition process for that like i said it's a pretty similar world audition wise to anime. I don't know if there's much of a difference but how does video game voiceover work differ from anime voiceover work? There's just a lot more variety. It can be way more mindless grunt work in terms of VO where you're literally just playing a soldier so it's way more vocally stressful and you're pretty much just like alright okay we're gonna need to come up with 40 different ways for you to die. We're going to need different kind of screams for every single one of those deaths. We're going to have the death by acid, death by crushing underneath a large stone, death by being consumed slowly by an alien. And that can tend to be a little bit more mindless and a little bit more, you're just grinding through it. But on the same token, again, because video game work tends to be prelay and a lot of times you're working directly with the writers, it can also also be so freaking funny because a lot of times there's room for improv or there's room for the writers to literally write lines on the spot as they get inspired by you. So working on Battleborn, I have never laughed as hard in voiceover sessions as I did when I was recording that game because Aaron Lindy, the head writer, was at every session and we would just riff off of each other. He would write the groundwork for the lines and then I would just run with them. And then as I ran with them, he would get new ideas and he would write new stuff. It was this beautiful synergy of riffing off of each other and making up funnier stuff together than we could have made up alone. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears.
years that goes into this job and so much marketing and prep work and just the endless hours of auditioning. It's a job in a lot of ways that people don't realize, but walking out of those sessions more than makes everything worth it. Perfect segue right here. You've been acting for over 10 years in regular live action roles as well as some video game work as well as some major voiceover work. What advice do you have for people who want to get into this industry? My first piece of advice would really be while you're figuring everything out, take an acting class, take an improv class. It's called voice acting for a reason and you're only going to make yourself better by becoming a little bit more familiar with character development and the rules of dialogue and improv and so forth. So definitely that. I also highly recommend research. I feel like most people who are listening to this podcast, if they want to get into voiceover, they want to get into character-based voiceover. They're not looking to be the next voice of Chevrolet. And on that token, I would say most people have a leg up because being familiar with anime and video games already is a huge boon in the auditioning and recording process. But see if there are any workshops in your community. If you live in a smaller community, check out a website called edgestudio.com. They're a really reputable recording studio in New York that has a great online presence and they teach online Skype workshops about how to get into voice acting where they'll take you through the basics and they'll give you an assessment of your voice and tell you these are your strengths, these are your weaknesses, this is what you need to work on, these are some good next steps for you to take. That's a great option if you don't have workshops in your area. And demo reels, important, gotta put one of those together. Voicebank.net is a great place to go to to do some research and see what demo reels of working professional voice actors sound like so you can get an idea of what yours is going to need to sound like. And above all, you have to find a way within yourself to stay positive so that you can be persistent. A lot of actually becoming a working actor is an endurance game and being able to continue trying even when you're getting told no again and again. And a lot of that is finding a way to stay positive and motivated and not getting too discouraged when you start off. And now, finally, before we go, do you have anything you would like to promote? Facebook, Twitter, website, convention appearances, anime that you're in? I tend to interact most with fans on Twitter, where you can find me at about Elizabeth M, and Instagram, where I'm just at Elizabeth Maxwell. I do have some fun anime announcements coming out sooner than later, so watch Funimation for that, or my Twitter, because I'll announce it there. Are you I scheduled for any cons coming? up in the next few months? I believe Paradise City Comic Con in Fort Lauderdale, Florida in December. That's what I think my next few months are looking at, though I might be adding some in the fall. And I will say, keep an eye out, I'm doing an American-made anime called Cannon Busters, which is being created by LaShawn Thomas, who was an animator and producer on Legend of Korra and Afro Samurai. And he wrote a graphic novel called Cannon Busters that is being turned into an anime. And we recently did the voice over on the pilot so that pilot should be coming out in the summer I think and I am ridiculously excited about that 
everything I've seen so far of the pilot just is blowing my mind. And it's a really different role for me. I play Casey Turnbuckle, who is this super sweet, indefatigably optimistic, outdated maintenance droid. So it's just this super sweet, bubbly, energetic, happy character, which is very different from a lot of the other roles that I've played. And she has been a ton of fun. So keep an eye out for that. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode. And remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcasts. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can definitely check out popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture, as well as you can follow us on Twitter at popanimecomics and on our Facebook page, popanimecomics, for all updates regarding this podcast and the website. Until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.